the hardest part in any kind of analytics project is always going to be adoption. How do you convince people to be guided by data, which isn't an easy thing to do, right? And especially if it contradicts their viewpoints of things or what they thought was true, but turns out the data tells you another story, just getting a person to change is really hard. So the adoption challenge is always going to be there for any type of analytics project. Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen, right, is that when somebody points at a number and says, how did you get that number? <laughs> And you can't explain it. The dangerous part of taking data out of that central data store is that now you lock that data point or that insight inside of that tool or inside of that extract file or whatever it might be. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of the Dedicated Show. Really excited to have you all joining us here today. I like to start off with a question every time we have a show. Now, this show is all about demystifying the modern data stacks. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Alexander Thor, and he's the director of product management at Estrato Analytics. We're going to talk about demystifying the modern data stack, and who better to tell us about it than Alexander Thor. Welcome to the stage. How's Thank it going? Thank you, and hello. It's going good. It's going good. It's not too bad. It's a sunny day here in uh, Sweden. Yes, yes, that's nice. It's sunny here in New Jersey as well. Let's go ahead and get into it. So Alexander, before we get into talking about modern data stack and tech and all that cool stuff, I think it would be great to just get to know you a little bit better. So if you can just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, that would be great. Sure. So my name is Alexander Thor, not related to the Marvel's character. We had the name first, and I still claim that. But I spent the, the last I would say better part of a decade in, in within the data space in, in various different shapes or forms, everywhere from being very hands-on and crafting custom visualizations or custom data stories to being part of product development, so driving and building data. Products. And then for the uh, last two years, I've been part of uh, Astrado Analytics here over at Vista, building and basically a new analytics product from scratch, which has been hugely exciting. I'm very passionate about data. I'm very passionate about data visualizations. Done everything from pen and paper visualization up to actually coding larger screens and, and larger projects with more kind of news outlets and that kind of stuff. This is uh, highly fun for me to be here today because I always love to talk about data and applications of data as well. Okay, perfect. Well, we're here to have fun, so that's great. I'd love to hear more about why you decided to join Estrado. You mentioned about two years ago, right? How, what was that decision process like? So the decision process for me was that when looking at in, into the field of the different products that existed at that stage, it started to get a little bit stale. You were seeing like a lot of innovation happening in the transportation of data or transformation of data or storage and compute of data, but, but it felt like analytics has become a little bit stale almost. And then a the two founders, Martin Muller and, and, and David Alcabarro, Vislib, I've, I've known them for a long time before, and they had this idea of that, why don't we just build a data product that, that builds upon all of these modern tools? So instead of moving data out of the data stores, we can build a product that interacts with the data stores directly. So querying it, generating SQL, and allowing users to actually build very interesting visualizations or dashboards, or even more like a full data 
in a very no-code way and then slap that directly on top of your data source without having to move data around in a bunch of different places. That's what they sold it uh, to me. And I thought it sounded really interesting. And I always liked the ideas. When an idea that you go, isn't everybody doing this? But it turns out very few are, right? There's, there's a few other ones, uh, Sigma, for example, and, and a few other ones which are really interesting as well. But that's what really hooked me on the idea. Okay, so I guess they didn't really have to sell you on it too much. You're like, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. When the idea, you, when you don't really have to explain the idea too much, that, that's when you know it's a good idea. Yes. So today we're here to talk about the modern data stack. And I know we started out with a question to see if folks were familiar with the term. I love what Dan says. He says, I think I know what the modern data stack means, but I realize that's the most dangerous place to be. So I think it would be great for us to get into your definition of what is the modern data stack and see if Steve Dan was right. I would preface it with saying that I think the, the definition of what the modern data stack is, if I give you an answer today, then it's valid for today, right? I think we're seeing such a rapid speed of innovation within this data space at the moment that what it means to be within the modern data stack has vastly changed. I would say the overarching theme, though, is that no longer is it on-prem products as you were, you were used to for a while. Usually you buy it in some sort of managed service across the entire stack. And it's no longer that you pick one tool that does everything or you pick one vendor that does everything. We've gotten to a place where sort of the, the barrier to entry is so low that you can go and shop for various different products quite easily and stitch them together and then actually get something that is a cohesive experience for your users and for your company. And then we can go into like specifics, but in the various stages, but it's no longer the 90s where you had to have a million dollars to buy an ETL tool, right? That's... Yeah, I guess, right? It, it depends. I think a lot of times there's still some confusion in terms of usage and the cost that comes along with it. I think for a lot of people, there's still that fear of, okay, if I keep using some of these newer tools that charge me by usage, that I might end up spending a lot more money than if I had paid for something upfront where I know exactly how much I'm spending. So maybe tell us a little bit more about how that works. Yes, I always think that this has been very interesting because I think in the beginning, a SaaS kind of came up, people thought it would be cheaper. I'm not necessarily sure it's the fundamentally cheaper, but at least where you spend your money, right? Which different parts you're spending your money. And then it's much easier to attribute value back to uh, that spend and actually see if it makes sense or not. If we're spending this much on infrastructure, that's what makes sense. It's no longer just a black black box of licensing money going to a specific vendor. And then you have no idea how that is actually being attributed and uh, across the business. And it's much easier to scale it up, right? Uh, you don't have to buy for peaks anymore. Where if, if you're paying for usage, if you have a, a peak Monday morning in the beginning of the month, then you just pay for that peak. You don't have to buy licensing and hardware to support that peak throughout the entire month because that might be a very high peak, for example. So that, I think, has really helped in a lot of ways. And that you can also scale costs as your business scales as well because it isn't really, it isn't static. It's very dynamic, right? Um, yes, yes. And I think that's part of the evolution that companies have gone through in the past few decades, where now you care a lot more about scale because data just grows so rapidly, mm -hmm. the, the volume, the variety and all of that good stuff. Was this not the case? I do think yes and no. I think the data was there. And now I'm going 15, 10 years back in the days, right? And back then, you would even maybe go to big vendors and buy appliances, right? You, you would <laughs> buy a big server that came pre-configured with the software that you wanted to be able to scale that out. 
So to ingest new data sets, like just getting new data into the system, all of a sudden became very costly because at some point you hit like a, a barrier where it's, yeah, if we want to add some more data now, we have to go buy a new appliance or we have to scale our on-prem data warehouse, which is requires an army of people and a fair chunk of change in licensing cost as well. Right. Uh, so I think that was a very interesting boundary. And like that boundary is basically gone away at this stage. So to bring in new data sets these days, this isn't about, this isn't the monetary question anymore. It's about it does it make sense to bring in the data? Does that value right. to the business? Because understanding data and transforming data is still complex. That that hasn't gone away. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a comment here from Twitch. It's, I always love it when people join us from Twitch. It rarely happens because I stream there anyways. Because why not? So thanks, Jackie, for joining us. The comment is, is this like Google Studio or GeForce streaming for gaming where you don't actually buy the console, but you can get all the power basically when you need it. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's a, you get the power when you need it. But I also think you know, it's when you don't have to deal with the server anymore, it's not only a cost thing as well. In the past, we had DBAs. And now I'm going to be a bit sloppy, so I you know, apologize in, in advance. Back in the days, we would call them database or DBAs, database administrators. These days, we call them data engineers. It's not necessarily the same thing, but it's very close. And uh, I would say that when you buy a service and you no longer have on-prem hardware, you don't need to maintain the lights of your databases uh, or your actual physical servers in, in the same way anymore. So now all of these people, which are still in the organizations, they can actually turn their attention to providing value into an organization, like finding data sets and getting data into the business much faster. So I think like data engineering has gone through massive change over just the last couple of years and gone right. from like a cost center to a value generating center, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. Now, I know there are several tools available in the marketplace, right? For different parts of this modern data stack. So I, I think it would be helpful for us to just talk through some of those tools that are available and also maybe provide some guidance on what factors do companies take into account when they're trying to select the right tool for Depends on where we want to start. So just look first, right? In a lot of ways, when if you have data, at some point you need to bring that data to some type of compute and storage solution. Usually that is done through tools like Fivetran, for example, for moving data around, or even tools from such as Click, if you have a, or Click Attunity, if you wanted to bring that in. I think Fivetran is, I shouldn't say standard at this point, but it's getting very close if you're looking for a tool. There's also just coding solutions for moving data around. That's also coding a lot better. There's a lot of really good code solutions out there today as well for the people that want to write Python pipelines or Java pipelines or whatnot. That has become really interesting. And then, of course, we see the data warehousing. We get you know, the Databricks, the snowflakes of the world, which has really sprung up over the last couple of years. We're heavily invested into the Snowflake ecosystem. I'm going to be a little bit biased here, but we use Snowflake ourselves, but we also base our product on top of Snowflake for a lot of uh, different use cases. And we're super happy with that. For us, it's been amazing just from a pure selfish point of view, just being able to pull in some data and analyze it like really quickly. Yeah, has that's been amazing, and I don't think anybody that's been in the data space has avoided DBT over the last couple of years. That has massively blown up. You know, that that's definitely there as well. Mm -hmm. And I would say what's interesting about these tools is that they're actually in use. And now you're seeing the next wave with like fabrics and meshes, and there's metrics layers coming in as well. And I think these are still very much in the product phase in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not seeing as much usage yet. Uh, we're seeing a lot of marketing, uh, but yeah. we're not seeing a lot of usage. 
But give it a year, give it six to 12 months, and we'll, we'll probably see which areas will start picking up more than others. Yeah, everyone's talking about it. So let's yeah. see where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so how does a strat analytics fit into this stack? Where does it sit? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so, so I would say when we look at the across the entire sector from like actually moving data around, transforming data, storing data, and then actually running compute on top of data. That's where we've seen most of the innovation happening over the last couple of years. Then on the last side, we haven't seen a lot of innovation on the actual presentation side and allowing users to twist and turn on metrics and you know pivot across different dimensionalities, building highly engaging UIs that they can distribute onto users. That's where I think we've seen the less innovation over the last couple of years. So what people would do is that they would embrace these like new tools like Fivetran and they would load it into Snowflake. They would transform the data within Snowflake. And then they would take like an extract file, disconnect that data from their data store, and then shoot it over to more traditional analytics. And at that point, now we invested an enormous amount of time and effort and also money into actually having all the data in one place, which isn't a new idea, right? Like we're back to the 90s ideas here again, right? like centralized data stores. But then you had to cut off the data from that centralized store to bring it out to your analytics or, or BI platforms, or even your ML and AI platforms which kind of defeats the entire purpose, right? So that's where we're seeing like a new uh, wave of tools coming up that allows people to interact with data in various shape or forms without the data actually having to leave that centralized uh, data store. Yes. Uh, so that's what I started us, for example. Okay. Yes, we don't want to take the data out of the warehouse. It creates just another data silo. The hardest part in any kind of analytics project is always going to be adoption. How do you convince people to be guided by data, which isn't an easy thing to do, right? And especially if it contradicts their viewpoints of things or what they thought was true, but turns out the data tells you another story, it's getting a person to change is really hard. So the adoption challenge is always going to be there for any type of analytics project. Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen, right, is that when somebody points at a number and says, how did you get that number? <laughs> And you can't explain it. The dangerous part of taking data out of that central data store is that now you lock that data point or that insight inside of that tool or inside of that extract file or whatever it might be. So whenever you want to talk about that data point with a different part of the business, right? Finance want to talk to marketing or marketing want to talk to sales or whatever it might be. They're no longer talking about the same data because it's disconnected data. It's silo data. And I think that's the really dangerous part, because now you're creating data silos within your organization, and they're no longer talking about the same data points anymore. Yes, yes. What's even worse is when they say, your numbers don't match with my numbers. Oh, yes. no. <laughs> yeah, how did you get to that number? And if you can't explain it, then you're, you know, you're dead in the water, right? Panic ensues, yes. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God, what did I do? What filters did I use on this data? And a lot of times you're, what I used to do is extract data, filter things, clean it in Excel, and then sort of next month you have to repeat that same process. And you're like, okay, here we go again. What did I remove? What did I exclude? What, yep. How do yep. I get these numbers to match last month's numbers? Yeah. They're... Yeah. I used to work with a CTO that always said that every time somebody exports to Excel, an angel loses its wings. There is a certain part of truth to that, I think, where we're coming back to the ideas of the 90s, which weren't, we're getting it to everywhere in fashion and music and, and data. and The ideas weren't wrong, right? Yeah. The ideas of a data warehouse were correct. I think the, the problems we had back in the 90s was that the tech wasn't really ready for it. You couldn't wait two, three months or even six months just to get a new data set that you could analyze. But these days, we're down to weeks, almost days. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you need the data 
in minutes, right? Because it's just that important and it drives important decisions. We have a, a comment here that from Johem saying, at first I was seeing a lot of issues, but starting to believe that the future can be BI in the cloud. And I think a lot of folks and companies out there are a little fearful. And this came up in a prior conversation I had with someone around moving to the cloud. And I think there is still this fear of data not being secure when they move it to the cloud, where I think in reality, a lot of times it's even more secure than holding it on-prem. But what are your thoughts on that? Stuff that you aren't managing yourself is always scary, right? Like somebody, yeah. like you outsource your trust into a third party and, and you yeah. trust that they actually keep my data secure. I'm usually trying to be fairly pragmatic and rational about it and go, if I were to run a business, would I want to employ 200 security engineers to secure my infrastructure? Maybe we have one or we have two. And yeah. then you contrast that against the amount of people that work at Google or Amazon or Microsoft or whatever it is. And th that's their business to make sure that the stuff is safe. Yeah. I guess people need to do their own research as well, I think, when they yeah. move to the cloud. All right. So let's say I'm a company and I'm running things the old way, but... I've watched the show so far for the past 20 minutes, and now I'm like, okay, I want to move move on to the modern data stack. What would that journey look like, and what are some challenges that I might face? I would say always start small. Start iteratively, and then build upon it as you go. Start with one data source. Don't aim for perfection. Might be controversial, because otherwise, you're, just really, you're never going to reach perfection, so you, you might not aim for it, because... Uh, the data and the business will change so rapidly that as you're modeling out the perfect data or star schema, it will never happen. So I would start small. And I think the benefit now is that the entry point is so low that you can actually start small, right? So you can start small, both from a, like a actual you know, dollars and cents point of view, but also from just starting with smaller use cases, smaller data sets, and kind of start bringing those in and you know, playing around with the data and how that can look like. So it, it is interesting. Actually, I do think it's a bit like old versus you go on to all of these different uh, tools that you can see out there, like Snowflakes and Pytrans and DBT and whatever. And you look at the logos. Everybody likes to show their customer logos, right? You don't see the big companies there, the Fortune 500s or even the Fortune 50s. Like you see the smaller ones or you see the ones that have made it in to the Fortune 500 over the last couple of years. And I think that is really interesting. And I wonder why. I wonder if it's because there's so much legacy that's sitting in the companies that has been around for a long time that hinders you to actually adopt anything new, or even if it's the way you think about data. I'm not sure here. I think it has mostly more to think about how you organize and think about data than perhaps tooling. But Yeah, that's a very interesting way of thinking about it. Maybe someone in the audience wants to take a crack at like reviewing all those logos and seeing which ones are part of the Fortune 500s, which one just joined. I think that would be an interesting analysis to see, is it a fact that those companies are maybe slower to move due to maybe cultural aspects people set in with the legacy would be it would be very interesting to to look into that and I, I think what's if you look at companies like spotify or netflix these aren't small companies they're very big companies right, but I, would, right. I would i would you know call them new companies like spotify's and ubers and netflix and they organize like very interestingly around data you don't find a data center of excellence, right? They embed data engineers, they embed analysts into operational groups in part of their uh, organization. Mm -hmm. So I think we've done like a really good job of getting data closer to users. I'm not sure if we've done too much on the data literacy part, because I think we just took somebody that was very data literate and just put them closer to users. But uh, I think that has really helped in how we can organize our own data.
Yeah. And I think in speaking with different types of companies, would you say that the modern data stack is for all types of companies? Is it for all different industries? Would you say it's for companies across all of the various maturity spectrum levels in terms of where they are on their data analytics journey? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I do think they could be across the entire spectrum. I think there's uh, certain areas and certain industries that might have like regulatory uh, requirements on top of them. Things like healthcare and pharma and, uh, and other areas. However, I would say like the, the benefit of actually going with a SaaS vendor and a big player, something like Snowflake, is that there used to be these regulatory principles. So even if you have fairly heavy regulatory requirements on top of you, those have been solved by the most vendors. So I wouldn't perceive that as a big kind of uh, downside. So I do think yeah. everybody can actually start looking into and adopting it. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of Europe, though, with the GDPR in Europe coming in big this year. But everybody's scrambling to solve that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I heard, I think it was Utah is now the fourth state who's also adopting similar rules such yeah. as GDPR. So interesting to see where we're moving. All right, question here from Grace. She says, we're looking into cloud technology in my org, but the cost was always the biggest concern. It was very expensive a few years ago. Has the pricing structure changed at all? I think the, uh, the pricing structure is, I would say, probably the same. Uh, it's probably gotten a lot cheaper. And not necessarily. I, I think the price has gone down because it is, in a certain ex extent, a race to the bottom. More players in the same field and everybody's in a competing on price and so on and so forth. What I like about the SaaS pricing structure is that it's very much correlated to value in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can really see what you're paying and you don't have to lock into year-long contracts. Worst case, you might have to lock in for a year with certain vendors. Data products tends to be quite long in a way. 12 months is probably fine. But at that point, it's really good for like evaluations. And I think it really scales, very, especially for usage. I think usage scales very nicely for infrequent users that might use it a couple of times a week, a couple of times a month. That, I think, it works really well. Where we're seeing usage models breaking down is for the really heavy data users. This is my job, so I'm going to use it six, seven hours a day. So I think you probably want to find vendors that can balance usage models together with like a traditional licensing model where you license per seat or per user. Yeah, I think it has in part somewhat to do with human psychology, where people don't necessarily want to pay per use. It's kind of like the all-you-can-eat buffet. A lot mm -hmm. of times it's more expensive than what you would have paid for, but you just want to know that's all you're going to pay, even though you might not even eat more than a bagel where you have access to all this other food. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to see how, how people are evolving, but it makes sense to pay for what you're using. And I think it makes you think a bit more in terms of what you're going to do and what value you're actually going to bring and the ROI of all your all of that usage. Yeah, very interesting. I, I guess it's a bit like owning a car versus drive, taking an Uber trip. Uber trip, if you're driving the same amount of miles or kilometers, it's going to be cheaper in your own car, probably, if yeah. you're just looking at distance traveled per cent or whatever, then versus an Uber. But at the same time, if I drive in an Uber, I don't have to worry about maintenance. I don't have to switch tires and I don't have to worry about going and filling up gas. I was going to say getting gas is, you, you better say gas. Cause yeah, <laughs> you know, and now I'm just uh, guessing here because I don't even have a driver's license. It's, uh, so, yeah. Okay, we'll explore yeah. that in another show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Once folks have decided, okay, I want the modern data stack. 
it sounds like the, the, the best option. It sounds like the right thing to do. I know you mentioned taking baby steps, using small sets of data, going after the low-hanging fruit, making sure you show some success along the way. But what advice would you have for maybe getting executive buy-in? Let's say that the team that's decided that this makes sense is not the person at the top who actually has the purchasing power. So what can those individuals say to the top executives to make this decision, to help them make that decision? This can be a hard one, right? Depending on where they sit, how much data mature your organization is as well. I think it makes a a lot of impact here. If you're less data mature, and now my CEO is going to hate me, but sometimes I usually tell them execs are a bit like toddlers. (laughs) If you can dangle something shiny and glittery in front of their face, they're going to like it. So if you can actually show them something visually, it's much easier to get buy-in. You're solving a problem for that specific toddler. I think that can truly help with just getting buy-in from the executive level. Right. Take some type of data set that they're usually looking at or monitoring and having as a basis for, for a decision yeah. and present it in a better way, showing them you can get it much faster. You don't have to wait for the month to close before you can report on it. You can do it mid-month. You can do it rollingly or whatever it might be that's applicable for your business. I think that's, but at the end of the day, showing costs, for example, if you have a large organization of people that are working with data in, in various shapes or form, freeing up their time to focus more on value generating activities, for example. That can definitely be one, but it's a journey, right? So it's, uh, it doesn't happen overnight, definitely not. But I, I would perhaps focus on something that's, especially if it's for XX, showing something that might be a little bit more visual. Sadly, nobody gets excited about the data pipeline. They probably should be, but... but <laughs> Until something's broken, that no one really... Until something breaks. Or like, why can't I get this numbers on Monday, right? Um, yes, and Dino agrees. Execs are like toddlers. <laughs> okay, interesting. I'm going re- to regret that one, that's for sure. <laughs> Joe says, I have a toddler and I agree. Susan wants to know if you have been um, to Scotland based on your cool accent. I've actually never been in Scotland, sadly. Closest I've been is I live a couple of years in, in London and I live a couple of years in, in Dublin. So uh, that, that's about it. And then I lived five years in Philadelphia, but that, that's about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about roles for a minute. I know we were talking about database administrators, data engineers before, and then I know we've also got data, data analysts, data, data scientists, business analysts. What roles would you say are required for successful implementation of this modern data stack? Like who needs to be on the team to make this happen? Again, I think it depends on the size of the business and, and what type of business you are. But definitely somebody that understands data, meaning a, a data analyst somewhere along the lines. I will always recommend somebody that can write code in addition to that. Somebody that perhaps can quickly ingest some data and bring that in without having to set up a tool and configure a tool or whatever it might be. So definitely somebody that can write a little bit of code, somebody that can understand data, but then also understand the business. Right? The business needs to be part of that journey. It doesn't matter if you can show a really cool uh, prediction algorithm if, if you can't explain it and put it into context of how it should be used within the business. So I definitely think there, if you can find that unicorn of a data scientist, data analyst that like really understands the business and is really good at the data stuff, that's a magic person to find. That worries Those, me. That unicorn yeah. <laughs> can, can leap and fly away. And then what do you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but, but I would probably start there and trying to get... Understand the problems of the business, I think, are uh, the absolute biggest ones. Uh, we see 
really cool data projects that has no recipients. It's like, yeah, we built this really cool model. Who's going to use it? We don't know. Really cool. And then, yeah, it falls flat after a while. But And I think that if anybody remembers Hadoop, that's what happened to Hadoop. Everybody was super excited about big data stuff and Hadoop for a couple of years. And everybody went and implemented Hadoop and then nobody used it. So. Well, because everyone thought they had big data. Everyone wants to, who wants to admit they have small data? Yeah. No, I've got big data. I need it. So I think it's that hype as well. People wanting to hop on the bandwagon and seeing what mm -hmm. it's all about. Yeah, I guess so. Is nobody using Hadoop? No, I think people still are. It's a still a very like, cost-efficient uh, storage solution. It wasn't very good for, for actually getting data out of it or querying the data instead of Hadoop. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of different businesses over the last couple of years trying to solve that problem, speeding it up in various shape or forms. Yeah. and. I've heard you say this before because I watched your pre presentation for that you did for Big Data London, and then I've heard others from Estrado say this before, where you say to play the data where it lives. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. Why is that important, and how does that actually work? With so to explain Estrado a little bit, we're an analytic solution that allows you to build dashboards, but also taking dashboards a bit that's a step further. Everybody can build dashboards these days. That's not what what's super exciting. But for us, we're trying to build almost a, a bit like Photoshop, but for dashboards. So anybody can build something in Photoshop, but uh, if you wanted to build something that's really advanced, both from the visual point of view, but also from logic uh, point of view, you will be able to do that in Ostrava without making the tool way too complex. And then also bringing in a little bit of no-code aspects so that you can build interactive logic and program, visually program something that says, if I click on this button, I want something to happen and, and guide your users down a specific path of analysis. For that, that's what we're doing. But my absolute favorite feature is that um, you don't have to write SQL if you don't want to. So you, if you want to write SQL, you can. But as you're interacting, and this is very similar to things like Tableau or, or other types of tools where you, you drop in data onto dimensions of measures, as we call them, but other areas. And then we actually generate SQL uh, underneath the hood, fire that off to whatever data store you're using, Snowflake, Postgres, what have you. The feature I love the most in Astralo is the fact that we generate human readable SQL. So it's not some jumbled machine generated garbage that nobody can read. But at any point in time, you can always come into a visualization and say, show me the SQL. And it's going to be human readable. And you will be able to take that SQL and give it to somebody else, give it to a colleague and say, hey, Around the exact same query, and you're going to get the exact same results. And I think this is key for us. And this is what we're saying when we say play the data where it lives. So don't disconnect the data. Mm -hmm. um, don't take an extract file every mo Monday morning or something along those lines. Because, you know, that's not how your business works. You need to talk about this data. You need to communicate about this data. And I think that's what we're trying to facilitate in a lot of senses. All right. Yeah, cool. So can you give us an example of human-readable SQL statement? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's SQL can become very complex. Yeah. And it's small things for me as well. The fact that it's actually properly formatted so I can read through it and understand what happens. I, I can pick on other vendors. I'm not going to do that too much. I'll, I'll pick on Tableau because they're actually fairly good at it. Where, where, you know, Tableau also can query data where it lives, but the queries are disjointed. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, they fire off different queries and they bring it back and then they stitch it that together in memory. So to be able to understand what's actually happening, you need to understand multiple different queries, and they can be quite hard to understand at certain points. 
Right. Because I want to be able to take my query and then give it to somebody that understands SQL. And they should be able to, understand, just by reading it, understands what's happening. I can't give you a good example off the bat here. but <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yeah. So Peter says that SQL is a way of life. I know we've got some major pro SQLers. We even call them squirrelers at some point on the dedicated conference. We have, because how do you say a SQL or SQL? And we had a whole debate. SQL is not going away. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that's ever going to go away? I don't think so, no. Uh, I think at this point, it's fairly safe to say it's here to stay. It fell out of fashion, I would say, for a couple of years. It's a bit like denim, right? It's used in various shapes and forms. Like back in the 90s, you were dressed in denim from top to toe. And, and now it's coming back again because we're coming back to 90s fashions. But SQL is definitely here to stay. I think it's a very mature language. And funnily enough, the purpose behind SQL, like the original inventors of SQL actually invented it to be a human readable language. Yes. It's coming back again. Like a lot mm -hmm. of, for a couple of years, we tried to hide SQL away and we tried to make it really complex and all of these kind of things. And, and now we're actually seeing a lot of other tools coming in like DBT and, uh, and other various uh, transformation tools, which is now bringing life back into SQL in a sense uh, and building upon that strength. So I definitely think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. Okay. All right. So it's like denim, which is <laughs> a fabric. Did you know that denim is a fabric? And speaking of which, we're going to take Ravid's question here on data fabric that leads us all the way around here full circle. He wants to know uh, more on how, how data fabric, data mesh, and, and all that good stuff actually fits into the modern data stack. I know we sort of touched on this in the beginning where we said people are talking about it, but not really doing it, but wanted to see your thoughts on yep. how does that actually fit in? So uh, in full honesty, I'm mostly going to stick to literacy here. I can probably uh, do the entire marketing spiel on, on fabric and meshes, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert enough to actually uh, give you any insights into that. Okay. It's still fairly new. I know it's, it's being pushed a lot by the big consultancy firms like Accenture's and the Deloitte's of the world. I think when we talk about data literacy, for me, it's understanding how people should use data and how you can actually compute on top of data and what type of metrics makes sense. And I do think we have a very long way to go here. And it's simple stuff like what's the difference between a mean and a median, right? If you go into a, a, a sales department today, maybe 50, 60% can give you the answer to that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be so sure. So in a lot of ways, I think it's for us to, as data professionals, like how can we explain data and the data concepts and, and at the same time also educate our users, right? How can you start doing the same analysis and how can you start building the same things without having to come back to somebody else to build out a, a simple thing, for example? Yeah. So technology has gone a lot better there, I think. But at the end of the day, you're going to see people doing stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's where we come in as data professionals and how can we teach them to actually make analysis that makes sense? Yeah. And where does percentages make sense? Where does absolute numbers make sense? How do you look at things in relative terms? And how do you spot trends? How do you spot deviations? And what's the standard deviation? That's, you know, these kind of things. And how does that, you know, impact uh, your data? And I think tools are bringing us closer to helping more people become data literate, where they're making it a bit easier, where you don't necessarily have to understand a lot of those terms if you just want insights you are able to drag and drop and click a few buttons. But those people will make mistakes, right? Because if they don't understand, it's kind of this balance of giving people access when they don't maybe don't have the full understanding. They have to learn, so they need the access. So it's 
this whole chicken or the egg thing. Sadly, we think that technology can solve every problem in the world, uh, and especially yeah. in certain parts of uh, Silicon Valley, which I don't necessarily think is the case. And especially when it comes to data literacy, like understanding data, right? I think that's a fundamental human problem, a soft problem. I think technology can help, but it's not going to be the ultimate solution. I think schooling yeah. and teaching and all these kind of things has become a lot better here. Yes, uh, I think they have to meet halfway where people have to make more of an effort and then tech becomes yeah. simpler and we're, we're on the right track there. All right, let's see. We have a question here from Ravid. He's asking, where do you see the modern data stack in two or three years? And I actually had a similar question prepared. I wanted to ask if we're going to call this the ultra modern data stack. <laughs> where do you see things moving? I think the concepts are going, I won't pick on any specific names or vendors here, but I think the the concepts that we have today, I think are going to be around. I think there's just going to be a little bit of convergence among the uh, the actual players in the, in the spaces here. Some will disappear, some will get bought out. Uh, I think we're going to see some of the big players like you know IBM and the Oracles and the SAPs and the Salesforce, they will buy a lot of stuff in this space. But I think the, the core concepts are going to be the same. We're coming back again to uh, a centralized data warehousing, but that I think is here to stay again. For sure. I think we are going to pivot more to away from EL. So instead of extracting, loading, and then transforming, I think we're going to actually do extract and then transform and load. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm mixing I up think my you make my Oh, God. It's to, getting late here in Sweden. Sorry about that. ELT, right? yeah. We're going to yeah. extract, load, then transform. Yeah, exactly. So we're actually going to transform in storage solutions, which yes. a lot of people are doing today. And I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. We actually have that raw data available as well. So I think that is becoming more prevalent. And I think that's here. I think the tools there are, are getting better and better by the day. And there is this new thing that, that is surfacing these days. People like DBT has launched a metrics layer. Good data is out there talking about semantic layers. And, and I think they're calling it the headless BI. But then again, semantic layers isn't a new idea, right? Yeah. It and was around back in the 90s as well. I think we are getting to perfection there. Joe's trying to help you out here. So it's ELT to ETL to ETLT oh, to BLT with egg. Okay. <laughs> the fascination with acronyms. It's a uh, god. But uh, yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Now, where can people go to learn more, to get a demo, to check out a strata analytics, to contact you? Where are all the places they can find information? Yeah. Astrato.io would be the first place to go. Sadly, I would say we're these hyper modern companies. If you want a demo, you can always get in touch with us. If you don't want a demo, the good thing is that the product is actually free up to five users, uh, perpetually, mm -hmm. no time limits, whatever, right? So you can, up to five users, you can hook it up, you can start using it. And it's not like other tools where you only have 45 days and you know, whatnot. You can keep on using it for free for five users. If you do want to get in contact with us and actually talk to salespeople and all of these scary people, do reach out. We're just a button click away in the software as well. That's always there. But I started that IO. That's where I would okay. recommend to start. Thanks. And yeah, Joe, Joe just added the link here in the chat as well for those who want easier access. And I, I don't think salespeople are scary. They're some of the nicest people out there. They want you to buy. <laughs> They're like, oh, God. Yeah. I, I think it's just the old kind of developer in me cringing every time you know, somebody from sales calls me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Alex. This has been awesome. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I always learn so much from the guests here on the Dedicated Show. So I really thank you for teaching me, teaching the audience about the modern data stack and where we're going and some of the, the pitfalls to avoid. And 
about Strata Analytics and highly recommend everyone to go and check them out. You've got no reason not to. It's free, like Alex said, up to five users. And I love data analytics, data visualization. So I highly recommend them. Go check them out. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, stay dedicated.